Welcome to Building Great Sales Teams, a show dedicated to making sales teams tick, tick, boom. Great sales teams are not recruited, they are built block by block. Let's get to work. Your last name is just Nolan, right? It's not K N O T T. Like a not. Why do I keep wanting to say Nolan? All right, I'm sorry. Call, that's a new one for me. I yeah? Think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been called a lot of different last names. It's been like Canute, Canut, Nut. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Like, I've had some funny ones. That's got to be the most annoying one is Nut. <laughs> yeah. Where's the U? You're good. It's close. I have no idea. All right, guys, we got. Brent and Nott on the podcast here. Um, we met at the uh, RBO Mastermind and just clicked right away. He started talking about his business. And, um, you know, he uh, eventually hired me for consulting, mm-hmm. which I appreciate very much. Um, I don't know if you know this, but you were only my third client at that point, you know. And uh, I had been doing it for a while for free. <laughs> and then... Uh, uh, Mike Claudio gave me a hard time, so he <laughs> he gave me a hard time, so I actually made a business out of it. But anyways, I wanted you on the podcast because you're in a stage that uh, a lot of entrepreneurs are in right now, and I wanted to make sure we told that story, you know what right. I'm saying? And, I, and I'm, very, I'm very excited about having you on because you're one of the rare people that actually like listen to what like Trevor and Kale with the RBO mastermind are talking about and uh, everything that's going on in entourage to get to entrepreneurs, you know what I mean? And um, a lot of people come to these masterminds, come to these events and just, you know, get all hype, get all motivated, say they're going to do a bunch of stuff and they go home and they are right back operating in their business again installing reps themselves and stuff like that you know what i mean so um pleasure to have you on the show you know why don't we just uh, kick it off with a quick introduction from yourself and then kind of tell us what got you into entrepreneurship yeah so um my name is brent Knott, and um <clears throat> i kind of fell into entrepreneurship by accident mm-hmm. um so essentially i was working for a guy i was doing uh, drifting in 13 states and uh, the guy I was working for, he had a lot of opportunity. He was in the grassroots sector. There was nothing like it. Mm-hmm. And we were, like, this close to getting a couple A-listers, like Monster Energy or NOS or whomever. And then once you get a good sponsor, nobody mm-hmm. wants to be first. Gotcha. You know? So that was my job, was doing the events. But when I wasn't doing the events, I was trying to sell sponsorships. When you say drifting, are you talking about the car, mm-hmm. the car drifting? Yes, we did like car shows and drifting and autocross. Were you a driver? I was not a driver. Oh, okay. I always wanted to, but I was yeah. broke. Gotcha. That's a very expensive sport. Really? Oh, because oh, the tires, right? It's incredibly expensive, yeah. Yeah. And so um, the the guy just really didn't hold himself accountable to certain things. Um, mm. He was living life in a way that I wouldn't live it. Yeah. Um, and so I'm not going to bash him publicly because a lot of people know yeah. who that is. But... The, you know, I basically looked at my wife one day. I was like, this guy would screw us over in a heartbeat. Yeah. Why should we stay here? Yeah. Let's just leave. Yeah. And um, 
it was interesting because I went to this guy's shop who had a Porsche and we had literally two cars to wrap and then we didn't know what we were going to do. Mm-hmm. And so we went to this guy's shop, lived at a hotel and uh, we essentially wrapped the first car. It took me like two weeks. It was literally the second car I would ever wrapped. Mm-hmm. So I went from my Miata yeah. to a Porsche. Right oh, wow. Yep. I had no idea what I was doing. I was fortunate. I got lucky enough to meet a guy um, in the industry that's um, a huge ambassador at the place I was buying the film at. He gave me some pointers, and mm-hmm. he actually helped me a lot. Um, took me two weeks to do the first car. Did the second car. It took me, like, a week. And then from there, like, I did, like, seven cars. Yeah, in a week? No. Oh, okay. It was just seven cars back, back to back. Back, back like, for yeah. over, like, a month and a half period of time. Gotcha. And the whole time living at a hotel. And mind you, I'm 23. I did not know that there's month rates. So I was paying daily. Oh, no. It's expensive. Yeah, I can imagine. 90 bucks a night. Uh And um, I didn't have any tools and stuff, so I was, like, hand-cutting all the stripes and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. the guy's like, hey, what are you going to do in life? I was like, I don't know, man. I've been working since I was 12. I'll figure it out. Yeah. And um, where did that that come from? What? Why had you been working since you were 12? I grew up on a farm, kind of. Okay. So, like, tar and fences. Yeah. It was... Um, I, pay, I got paid like a hundred bucks a week, I think. Okay. It was, it was you grew up on the farm? No, it was a friend of mine. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So I grew up with a bunch of studs that were all like national level wrestlers and stuff like that. And uh-huh. the dad was a contractor. He had 700 acres. And so I would come over the summer. My dad raised me where if you wanted Nikes and not Reeboks, yeah. you had to buy them yourself. It's okay. So that's what's up. Yeah. All right. That's awesome. So he ruled yeah. with Iron Fist. Yeah. So started when I was 12 working, but told that guy that and he's like okay well what does it take to run this business i was like i'm not sure but he goes okay well build me a business model and our 23 years old yeah build me a business just hustling business model yeah and i'm like i don't know how to do this yeah so i went home i literally spent hours looking at how to do this Mm -hmm. watched youtube after youtube after youtube you got your college education in a couple hours okay (laughs) i have a phd in google Um, (laughs) that's a fact yeah. Literally everything I do is Google. But um, we went in and uh, I submitted this this PDF to him that was my business plan. And, mm-hmm. and he come back from his race and he was just like, it's not really much of a business plan. Yeah. He's like, you got a bunch of fluff in here. You got buns, but you ain't got any meat. So you like poured your heart into this thing. I did. For the past like four hours. You know what Trust I mean? Me. Probably stress out all night didn't sleep and you come the next day and he's like this is dog shit <laughs> yes and um so he he coached me up he's like this is what you need to do this this and this um spend some serious time thinking about it and then present it back mm-hmm. tried again of course failed not even close yeah and he, he looked at me and said and we were riding actually we were riding in his truck um to pick up his car he had some body damage in it he goes this is the problem with the world is people do not teach people how to run a business. Mm-hmm. They just want them to work for you. Absolutely. And so everybody wants worker bees. Mm-hmm. They don't build anybody up. Right. And so we sat down at his desk um, once we get done with that trip. And he's like, what do you feel that my money is to your sweat? And I was like, I don't know what you're asking. He's yeah. like, in a business, there's equity. What do you feel we should split this business? course i'm 23 yeah i'm like this guy doesn't need me yeah like 
I'm looking around like he's got a lot of stuff. Right. I'm like, this guy doesn't need me. Yeah. So like, I don't know, 70, 30. And I gave him 70% of the business. Oh yeah. This, I remember this. Yes. We talked about this. So yeah. I gave the worst evaluation mm -hmm. of my life. So just for anybody that's listening that hasn't had this conversation yet and hasn't gone into a partnership, this is the way I look at it. And I am not qualified at all to like coach someone on business partnership negotiations, right? Mm -hmm. This is the way I look at it. The money is a equal partner in the company. You know what I mean? And then there's the person. And if the person's going to be working in the company, they're an equal partner. You know what I mean? You have to separate the two. Mm -hmm. So if you got two people, one of them's bringing in the money and they're going to work in the business, they should get 66%, right? But he wasn't working in the business. So you should have had 66% and he should have had 33% as the money. Yep, essentially. Yeah. Um, you know, but but at the time, I guess when I was 23, like I was never greedy, even mm -hmm. like I was broke. Um, I, I looked at it, I was like, this guy doesn't need me. Um, I have more to gain than he does. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. It's just what I looked at. I was like, I'm just some kid off the street. And, and you know what? You made that decision then, and it wasn't a bad decision in my opinion. You know, I get it, the 70-30 thing. Yeah. But in hindsight. Mm-hmm. Where oh, you at with it? And what was really interesting was he was coaching me the whole time exactly. that I had made a bad evaluation and he was trying to get me to buy him out for every year. Mm -hmm. Like he legitimately was trying to get me to buy him out and I never saw it. I was blind. Like I was yeah. scared. Um, I, I mean, I had advantages that nobody would dream of as a 23 year old kid starting a business. You, you, you had a mentor. I had a, a mentor. That mm -hmm. was huge. I had unlimited working capital. Yeah. Nobody has that yeah. starting out. And no, every time I went back to my ex-partner for money, because I fucked up a lot, you know what I mean? Every time I went back to him for money, he took more of the company, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And, you know, I look back and I don't like the way it happened, but I'm glad it happened that way because he was teaching me a lesson each time. Yep. You know what I it's mean? It's weird because the mentors do teach you weird lessons like mm -hmm. that because they, they probably learned in a similar way. School yeah. hard knocks, but yeah, he... Uh, he made a rule on his Amex. He said, this is unlimited, basically. Yeah. Amex. And who gets that? Nobody. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but he's like, this is unlimited. This is your rule. If you have a big job, you do it on the first of the cycle and you finish that sucker before the 45th. Right. And he's huge on cash flow. You are not a bank. Do not do net 30. You get paid when you're done, period. Yeah. And, and then the second rule was you have to do a spreadsheet on every single job. And I almost lost the business because he audited me on said spreadsheet like year five. Oh, shoot. And he's like, hey, let me see a spreadsheet on that job. It was like a $40,000 sale. Mm -hmm. I never sold anything that big in my life. And he was paying for it. He was donating it to the Tea Party of Jacksonville. It was a huge oh, no. bus wrap and stuff. Wow. And um, so he looked at me and he's like, if you are not going to do the things that we're coaching you on and mentoring you, he's like, this is more than Harvard level stuff. Yeah. Like, this is real. Like, this got me to places I never thought fathomable because mm -hmm. I did these fundamental things. If you're not going to do this, then I'm wasting my time and I can dissolve this business right now and you can start over. Reality check. Gary. Yeah. Got you by the cojones. <laughs> he does that very well. Yeah. Um, so, fast forward to year, I think that year he tried to get me to buy him out for like, we weren't doing, we were doing okay, but we were always profitable. Mm -hmm. just because he always told me no less than 50% margin and like all these rules. Yeah. But we were always 
green. I never had a red mouth ever. Yeah. And including in COVID. And you know, I think it was just those core fundamental principles. And uh, you're, I think at seven and a half or so, I finally was like, I'm gonna be a big boy. I'm gonna hop out of the bird's nest. And I'm like, Mr. Bill, I wanna buy you out. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, but I did some consulting with some clients of mine and a couple of people in finance and stuff. And I was like, I had no idea how to evaluate a business. Yeah. Kind of loosely did that. And um, I owe you $450,000. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me. So that would mean the business was worth uh, 1.4 roughly? Yeah. Okay. Roughly. Yeah. And that was just, you know, me being fair with him. Yeah. And, and, and so I was like, how do we do that? Because I don't have the credit for that. My credit's right. getting there, but yeah. I don't have the credit to go get mm-hmm. this loan. So how would you like to do this? And I would like to pay you. Yeah. And he looked at me and he said, just give me 25 bucks. You made me plenty of money. Wow. Yeah. And he said, this will change your life. And so he just made me make one promise that if I ever had the opportunity to do the same for my people, Mm -hmm. that I would do the same for my people. Absolutely. You got to pay it forward. Yep. Man, that's crazy. I just, uh, I bought out my partner last year Mm -hmm. and it cost me half a million dollars. (laughs) Very similar. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I don't see him doing that, man. <laughs> no, most people would never. I mean, it's that's amazing. Up, it's straight up a quote unquote Oprah story. I mean, it's a yeah. You know, um, it's actually become a big fiber in my being. Where like my new location I just started, the the, the guy that's running that location, mm-hmm. his wife looked at me and said, "This sounds too good to be true," and it wasn't. His version of that story is not even close to as nice as mine. And yeah, I know mine was too good to be true. Exactly. He's, he's truly earning this. Yeah, and once they hear that story, they, they see where you're coming from, they understand, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yep. And then and then all of a sudden, you know, you may have a partner for life, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, it's amazing, and it, and it speaks volumes about the fact that you're still here because of the education and what he poured into you. Uh, you're still here doing this, right? Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, that, that's so much of where we miss the boat, whether it's staff, salespeople, operations, it doesn't matter. That's so much of where we miss the boat is we don't pour into our people. We don't give them opportunity. And like you said, you know, a lot of people just want worker bees. That's not how this works, you know? At least not if you want to build something that's impactful and sustainable long-term. You got to impact people and you got to give them opportunities and let them take them. You know what I mean? And you know, he definitely gave you, uh, led you to water, and you drank that some bitch. <laughs> I'm like a camel, man. I drink it up. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about um, your business like six months ago. Yeah. Where where were you at as far as your responsibilities in the business? Um, basically buried. Uh-huh. 100%. And, and so even then, like, I... I I think the e-myth said it, it's it's more of like a throttle mm-hmm. back. Or no, it was the author of e-myth discussing the book with somebody at a dinner okay. on a podcast or like this. And he yeah. was discussing it and he's like, how do you do that? He goes, well, it's not a completely off thing. Like you don't just off the gas and right. no longer be in whatever position. You're yeah. In. So it was more like I tried to put like a KPI on it where mm-hmm. I don't want to be in the back, but maybe 25% of the time. And if I can do that, then it's an indicator that we're doing something right. Right. 
You're moving, so, you're moving the needle in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So what were the, some of the first decisions you made to get you? And what we always say is um, we want you uh, operating out of the business instead of in the business, right? Right. So uh, you're able to see the 40,000-foot view versus the 100-foot view. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, what was the first step you took towards that? First step was hiring more people. Okay. 100%. So, like, I built a basis. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I basically put what I felt was a safe number in the bank, mm-hmm. worked it till that point, and then from that point I was like, okay, I need to make, like, three hires immediately mm-hmm. because I was doing too much. That basis, was it the salaries for one year for three hires? Um, was that your thought behind it? <clears throat> it wasn't quite that much. Or, like, just three months? I usually keep try to keep, like, three months worth of fluff in the bank account at all times. Okay. Yeah, and that's usually the role, the role of I thumb. Had to, I had to essentially um, increase it naturally just because my expenses were going to go way up. Yeah, So I had absolutely. to earn my way to the new basis. What was your first first hire of those three? Um, installer. Uh, very okay. specifically, my brother who was working uh, AT&T, mm-hmm. and uh, he was a line guy, made mm-hmm. very good money, but it was all overtime hours. All of it. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, that's just so, how they make their money. Yeah. And my dad's an AT&T guy. And, you know, they're hard workers and they have great retirements and great mm-hmm. benefits and stuff like that. But really, it's all overtime. Yeah. So that extra 20 hours a week, they're taking from their family. Nope. You know what I mean? And, like, we operate off of 40, right, is the standard. Um, but when you look at the hours in a day and you're, you're, you're getting, what, 16 hours and, you know, you're spending 10 of them. At, at your job, and you're only getting six with the with the family. That's rough. Yep. Um, yeah, we hired the installer, and you know, usually I wouldn't do family, mm-hmm. but my brother, he was the punk growing up. Yeah. And it was like, my mom's like, if we could just get him through school without getting him in trouble, like would be good. Like, yeah. Like he was that personality. Like I would have to, he'd pick a fight on the bus, and and I'd had to beat that person up and then and then when we got home I'd have to beat him up for me having to beat that person up it was just a vicious cycle yeah. um, but he really earned my respect whenever um, you know he had his kids and stuff and mm-hmm. he just put his head down and went to work yeah and never complained he didn't complain to anybody sometimes we need that motivation yeah okay so second hire second hire um, was my my admin um, that's been my most troublesome position because I suck at it yeah and it's hard to teach something that you suck at. Well, I'm good at doing it, but I'm definitely not good at teaching it. Okay, gotcha. And, and yeah, it's, that position's hurt me, and I've gone through a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was mostly entirely my fault mm-hmm. as far as why I've gone through all those people. And we really identified that when I hired my wife. Okay. Position. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. I bet. I heard all about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, we, we finally figured out how we were going to get past that. So basically, mm-hmm. um, my wife has now moved to go to school full time, which I'm super proud of her for that because it was a big step for her. Yeah. Um, but she, she was able to help you transition that role. That was the goal with her coming in was to be like a six month. Mm-hmm. Um, try to build some of it out and progress through it and then um, and get her out of a potentially toxic culture that she was in as far as where she was working. Yeah. And then. It just, instead of going into another job, she decided to go to school. Gotcha. Um, we now have 
my mom in that position. Man, you well, get the whole family there. Well, not <laughs> the intent ever. Yeah. But after the first RBO thing, like it's something that had been on my mind and we did yeah. the, uh, the breath, breath work. work. Yeah. It just was clear, like without a doubt. And I mm. called her right after that. Yeah. That's awesome. She's a, a straight integrator. 100%. She's been building businesses for uh, a couple people. Uh -huh. And that's what she was doing at the time was building a business from the ground up for somebody. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hey, once you complete your contract with that and you feel like you made that whole, yeah. I'd like to hire you. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's a it's a tough thing to do. I had uh, Alicia on for six months, too. She was doing HR. And uh, it, it actually worked really well. You know, we worked really well together. And because she turned the wife hat off when she came into the office, you know what I mean? And she was an employee. So uh, it's rare the people's ability to do that. So that's why you don't hire family. But there's always exceptions to the rule. And, uh, you know, we work every day to be exceptional people. I think that's so. entirely key, though. Mm -hmm. At work, you're not family. Because me and my brother, people don't even, like, my staff will talk to him as if he's just a straight-up employee. Man, that's that person. Not as if he's my brother. But they know you. They do that because you've set the example and you have integrity. You know what I mean? When you talk to him and you're talking to him from a place of um, leader. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, okay, so when, so we met at the RBO Mastermind and we started going through your business and everything. And um, so you reached out to me, hired me. Yep. And uh, so what we put together was part of my Kodak system, right? And so the first thing that we worked on um, was the pitch, you know what I mean? Or no, but just looking at the business as a whole, right? Because you're kind of, you have three or four products, right? And so you're creating systems, but they're based on you being the salesperson, you know what I mean? And you can sell anything at any time. You know what I mean? You could be selling a car wrap and then, you know, they own the building and you're selling tents and then you're selling residential to their home. You know what I'm saying? But you're, you're in the business, you're installing it. You're passionate about it. You know, everything there is to know about it. So obviously you can sell all the things at once. You know what I mean? Yep. And, um, so what I encouraged you to do was okay we're creating this entry-level sales position so this is going into the opportunity structure we're creating this entry-level sales position so let's focus it on one product and what's the the product that you move the most the wraps the wraps right and um so that is what your team probably knows the best that's what you guys are in every day so that's what we need to focus on selling the entry level so the entry-level salesperson has access to be able to sell those wraps and they also, um, we talked about this, uh, you know, I asked you, what's your highest margin product? And I, and I believe it was a wall wrap at the time, yeah. right? And so I wanted to make sure, okay, we got the high volume, right? But we also got the high margin. And then the wall wrap is an easy sell. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's very simple. And you're also, it's creating a relationship because the reason that we're doing the wall wrap is to put your mission statement and your core values on there, you know? And uh, I can't remember how this came about. I think we were on a Zoom call and you showed me yours. Mm -hmm. And and I was like, oh, yeah. this is a product, you know what I mean? We need to get this to business owners. So you're making impact, you're selling your highest margin products. And it's also uh, an easy product to sell, right? 
And then you're also consulting your clients yep. on how to lead in the business, you know? And so that's what we focused on at the entry level. And then we said, okay, 2.0 is going to be commercial. You know what I mean? It's going to be the residential tent, you know? And so that they're going to get access to that when they move up in the company. Right. And so one of the things, uh, I love about you is that you're willing to create the structure before you go through it. You know, when I was, yeah, when I was 23 and took over the business, I absolutely created it as I went, you know, but you're planning it out. You've got it ahead of you. So we have two levels of opportunity right now. You've got your entry level salesperson. Uh, what did we call that account? Account manager? I believe it was a um, <clears throat> project manager. Project manager. And then uh, at the second level, we have a regional, yes. right? So now when people come in to your office and uh, you talk about the opportunity, I know you had pr uh, somebody in mind for that, yep. but if that didn't work out, we wanted to have a option B. So when people come in into your company and talk about the opportunity, um, you're able to give them an opportunity structure, able to hand it to them and say, this is what we're working off of and this is what you have to look forward to. How do you think that's gonna benefit your business? I think it's gonna definitely fast track it faster than Mm -hmm. typically would do which was like you said build as you go yeah and i'm oh crap really i've got three or four salespeople and i'm tired of managing them and i need yeah. i need leadership yeah. yeah and definitely trying to flip the script and be a little a lot smarter yeah so another thing that we did with that opportunity structure is we gave them you know training 1.0 you know what i mean the the very entry-level training and then at the 2.0 it's more leadership training uh, higher level product knowledge and stuff like that. So we're developing them along the way, right? And that's always the idea with an opportunity structure. So um, another thing we did was your comp plan. Yes. And so what I'm real big on is make it simple. Let's put it on one sheet. So again, when they come in for the opportunity, if they're an experienced salesperson, they understand commissions, they understand compensation, they understand what the price of the product is versus what I'm getting paid, right? And so uh, we did a, a flat comp plan based on the product. And, we, and again, we only gave us an entry-level salesperson certain access, but they see the complete product line, you know what I mean? So they have something to go after, right? Right. And it's not so much carrot and stick. It's like, all right, I can, I can sell a business owner a wrap, and then uh, I don't have to pass them off to Brent to sell them the commercial building because I've I've graduated to that 2.0 position, you know. Yep. And so uh, another thing I w uh, it's really important to me to display on the comp plan is there how much do I have to sell in order to make six figures? Because I. I know the mindset of every salesperson coming in is always, I want to make six figures. Yeah. You know what I mean? Once they hit that mark, then it's on to the next one. And, it, and it's typically not on to another money mark. It's on to a leadership position, you know? And not everybody's great for that, but that's what everybody typically wants once they hit that $2,000 in a week check, you know? Yeah. So I wanted to make sure that we had, we're hitting both of those right there. So I guess uh, going into this, what was your what was your experience with something like that? I mean, were you heavy on comp or were you heavy on opportunity? I think I'm heavy on both. Like, mm -hmm. I, I guess you say that my blessing and my curse is that I would always wait to hire people too late because mm -hmm. I didn't want somebody to commit to me and me not be 
truly in the right spot for them to it's hard it's hard you you do but what i've what i found out is transparency is key mm-hmm. you know um and i'm incredibly transparent when we're not making sales we're not making money you know what i mean and uh especially early on they were all commission only positions you know mm-hmm. but you're hiring a w2 plus yes uh plus um, yeah, we're, uh, <laughs> just to provide some context, if you hear the sports cars going on in the background, they're driving Lamborghinis McLaren. and McLarens into Winner's Row in front of Comerica Center. They call it Winner's Row in front of Comerica Center because it's like they're going like up and down or something. Yeah, they're racing. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, we're at Million Dollar Mastermind, uh, Ryan Stuman's event in Frisco, Texas, and uh, I don't think you can see with the camera angles we have right now, but we're surrounded by about 750 energy drinks. Now, we got the nice ones displayed here, but there is cases of them outside of here. We've been moving them around the event all week. And uh, just Your favorite energy drink. <laughs> giving, people, giving people some caffeine everywhere we go. Uh, it's been interesting, to say the least. And so, uh, and we're in the podcast trailer, too, so... <laughs> It's been it's it's been fun, but but going back to that, so we got your comp plan in place, yep. we got your opportunity structure in place, and then uh, a couple of other things that I did was put together a couple of pitches for you. Yes. Um, now we've had maybe three hours of conversation before I did all this. How does what I put together for you compare to how you pitch? Well, the thing that I liked the most was the bullet point approach versus the script. Because uh-huh. I was—I don't know why I never even considered bullet point. Mm-hmm. It's essentially what I do. Um, I would always consider a salesperson more of like a scripted uh, line, but it's very robotic. Yeah. And just too square, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the first big takeaway that I got is allow that person to be unique. Mm-hmm. Let them sell how they sell because the way I sell might be is from the... Uh, I have so much hands-on experience mm-hmm. that I can sell with, this is exactly why you want to do this. Yeah. Because I know, and I, they like my face, everything in my There's body. There's conviction like, there. Yes, like they know that the way I do it is be coming from a place of full understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody else might not have the technical side, but they might really firmly believe in the product or. They have to. Yes. Yeah. And so, um, you know, as we grow, like our goal is to definitely get hands-on experience on everybody, mm-hmm. so they do understand it and don't oversell. Right. That's the worst thing you can do. Yeah, because you don't want to be you don't want, you don't want to overpromise on the fulfillment side. You know what I'm saying? And kind of essentially screw over your install team. You know. And my favorite line is to the customer is, is essentially I don't even care about this job. Like I do not care about this specific job. Mm-hmm. I care about the relationship and selling you for a lifetime, regardless of what you do. That's awesome. Yeah. That's the way it should be. Um, what I always like to say, and I got this from, uh, and I'll give him credit again here, uh, Ralph Ramon, uh, he, he would always say, customers don't mind negatives. What they hate is negative surprises. Yes. So uh, I had uh, uh, Sam Kaufman in here the other day. And uh, he has on the level construction or uh, in-home remodeling. And he was talking about how much they try to scare the customer in the beginning 
because if they purchase, by the time that they purchase, they're 100% solidified in that purchase because they've walked them through the worst things that could happen. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And they set the expectation early on. Yes. You know, like, we're going to start in your bathroom and not your kitchen. Because if I start in your kitchen, you're going to hate me three weeks in. But if I start your bathroom, you're going to see this beautiful bathroom. You're going to be motivated to do the kitchen. You know what I'm saying? see the end result. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't Absolutely. do stuff in people's homes like that. That would not, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, it's awesome that you understand that. And, you know, you're just a dream client because right away you're like, yeah, that makes complete sense. You know what I mean? And it, and it comes from a, a place of understanding because you deal with it every day with your clients. Um, going back to the, to the script, where that came from, the bullet point thing, uh, whenever I became the owner of the company and owner financed it for my previous partner, the first thing I did was knock doors for three months, right? And um, I was going off of a script that was given to me before I started managing the business and I was using the same script. And uh, I just wasn't successful with it, you know, because I was trying to say every word of every line and remember that. And your brain is trying to actively remember those words and lines. And so you're using most of it for that. Instead of actually listening to the customer, and um, receiving what they're telling you and being empathetic, you're too busy trying to remember what you're gonna say next. Yeah. And, and depending on the uh, objection uh, script or the normal script. So I decided I was gonna reframe this thing. I understand it was more about the purpose of the words than the words themselves, right? And so I started redoing it. And then I did it in, in, in bullet points. I knew the bullet points that I had to hit and whatever I said to hit those came from me. Yeah. And then I could adjust those sentences based on what the customer told me. You know, so that's that's a key thing and you know, all the sales gurus will tell you, if you're talking more than listening, you're not selling. You know? And uh, you wanna be able to talk less because you've listened to the customer and you've qualified them perfectly. And by the time you talk, it's exactly what they need, mm -hmm. you know? And so uh, the bullet points help with that. It kind of subconsciously trains the salespeople to listen more because there's less things to say. You know what I mean? And so um, I'm a big proponent of that, and I'm, I'm glad that you uh, have adopted it as well. So we've got your comp plan. We've got the opportunity to structure. We've got the script. Now it's setting the expectation when the salesperson comes in yep. and letting them know, hey, how do we do business here? How do we work here? Besides core values and mission, what does your position do every day? Right. So, so many sales positions, when you walk into them, it's, all right, I want you to make this many sales a week, and um, I want you to, to sell this much, you know, 50 grand in business, 25 grand in business, whatever the case is. And they may even have an opportunity structure in place. They may have a pitch in place. But what they don't do is set the expectation on what I expect you to do every day. Is it 100 phone calls? Is it 50 phone calls? Is it six hours of work, seven hours of work? Is it in the field? Is it in the office, you know? Is it prospecting for new customers? Is it working old leads, you know? And so one of the things we're doing right now is trying to put together that opportunity structure and making sure that it is based on where you're most productive in your business and where you're most profitable. And uh, so an opportunity structure is a few things. It's daily tasks, it's uh, weekly tasks, monthly tasks, right? Yep. So they need to understand what do I need to be doing every day? 
what do I need to be doing every week and every month? And I need to hit those marks. And then what does my actual schedule look like? Right? 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Maybe it's 10 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. And then after that, it's it's, uh, minimum expectations. And that is your your minimum standard. This is what I expect for you production-wise at a minimum level. And it's typically, it should be about half of what you're doing, right? Because one, you've ha- you got the experience. Yep. You're the owner of the business, so you get to say things that they don't get to say. Care more. You give a shit, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And you won't find out if a salesperson does until they're about 90 days in. You'll get the, the dog and pony show for about 90 days, and then about the 90-day mark, you'll know, okay, they believe in the product, they believe in the business. They believe in our mission statement and core values, you know? And so, um, you know, what are your thoughts on a scope of work? Oh, the scope of work was great. Um, actually, I think that was one of the very first things that I told you was like mm-hmm. the main reason why I initially hired you aside from the other things, which were very important for me mm-hmm. was I only ever sold yeah. through Collins and Walkins. Yeah. After the first two years, all of our business was repeat and word of mouth. Mm-hmm. And so it, and we created just this awesome following of hardcore clients. Yeah. But we never actively marketed. This is mm-hmm. the first year we've ever marketed. This is the first year that we're trying to go outside of our current reach. That was a blessing for me, too, that you already had marketing in place and you were already getting leads. Mm-hmm. It made my job so much easier because not only... Do you need to compensate a salesperson properly? You need to be able to bring them leads to them. You need to be able to feed them. And, and go ahead, sorry. Yeah, you're good. Um, the definitely the you know the structure too. And and one of the things that you said that I'm gonna give you credit for that I liked a lot was mm-hmm. that you often look at what did they do, not not necessarily how many sales they had sold because sometimes there's a bad week. Mm-hmm. And I know that I do this and I internalize this sometimes for myself where like, man, sales are weird this week. Like yeah. just, and I know that I have followed up with every single one. And as long as I know that, that's cool. But whenever you extend that to somebody else, mm-hmm. you might be just upset. It's like, man, sales exactly. are bad. Yeah. What the heck are you doing? Mm-hmm. And But if they can show on paper that they followed your plan and it's based on their activity mm-hmm. and then you can audit the activity, do, is there potentially a training that needs to occur? Yeah. Do we need to, to modify something slightly, um, et cetera. But yeah. instead of just blaming the sales guy for not closing, um, it allows you the opportunity to really have those metrics built in place because yeah. you can't measure what you don't record. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You can't improve what you don't measure hundred yeah. percent. And so, you know, and that's what I love about data. I'm a, I'm a data freak. And so you're able to see at, if, if they're tracking their activity mm-hmm. and you make them responsible for their activity and not necessarily the results, right? Obviously the results are important. You're gonna praise for those, mm-hmm. but you can also praise for the activity. Yep. And sometimes it just takes another week for it to all come through and then it hits. And when it hits, it you're hit validated, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so, um, but if they're making a lot of calls and they're not having complete pitches, then it's about their approach, right? If they're having complete pitches and they're not um, they're not um, closing a lot, it could be two things. You know, they need to work on their their uh, their qualification, 
or they're talking to the wrong person. They're not talking to the decision maker, right? And then if they're uh, they're closing, but they're getting a lot of credit fails, or they're not getting financing, or um, you know the customer says yes, but the payment isn't made. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're they're working the wrong turf, or they're working the wrong type of clients, or the marketing's bringing them, you know, the wrong type yep. of clients. So that's incredibly important. All right, so we're getting we're getting close on time here. Um, what is uh, what's next for Brent Nolan Designer Wraps? Um, Brent, not sorry. Uh, you're totally fine. <laughs> I will take that new last name. <laughs> I've been called worse. Yeah. Um, so basically, what's next is definitely fully instead of twenty five percent business, truly stepping out. Um, and it's funny that Bobby Castro's talk yesterday was on what it was about getting a little distracted or like I'm not too big on shiny object syndrome yeah but sometimes like you you whatever you're working on you definitely get distracted and so like I'm finishing out at that level like you mm-hmm. said master the level that you're at and yes so I'm, I, I really need to finish out that last 25 percent get mm-hmm. the team finished up really identify what training the installers need um, mm-hmm. and then proceed forward to um, I'm going to operate the sales position for about a quarter. Yeah. And the goal is to go ahead and implement the comp plan mm-hmm. and see what it does to the business. Yeah. And, you know, cause that's something new to the business. Right. We don't want to rock the boat and we want to make adjustments based on that comp plan. We obviously want to make sure that they get paid, but we also have to take care of the entity too. Yeah. The entity if you rob it, mm-hmm. nothing can happen. Yeah, and I think that was one of our biggest concerns when we were creating it, was we didn't, like you said, we didn't want to rob the entity. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm I'm excited to see how that turns out, you know, because the whole, the whole deal is a lot of margins can get fixed with volume, right? Mm-hmm. But you want to be profitable at every level, yes. you know what I'm saying? But it also requires you taking a risk yes. at this level to get to the next one. And so, yeah, absolutely. If I went down to, you know, probably about 150 sales on my MDU side, I wouldn't be profitable anymore. You know what I mean? If I made less than seven to eight sales a month on my solar side, then I wouldn't be profitable anymore. And that's kind of where you're at right now. You've got to make that decision that, hey, if I go lower than this moving forward, I may not be profitable anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and so it's funny that that literal chat from Castro, like it, it like I'm glad I recorded it because mm-hmm. um, my mentor, I, I walked in, he cut his hand open with a table saw, and I was like, "Hey, how's the hand?" And he's like, "Oh, it's pretty good, you know, stupid, don't move. How's business?" I was like, "Oh, we had another record month." Mm-hmm. He goes, "What are you doing with your cash?" He always hits things head on. Like, yeah. What are you, like, what are you doing with your cash? I was like, "Well, expenses are a little higher right now, like you know, because we're investing into the yeah. business and stuff, and we did the RBO and all yeah. that stuff." And he's just like what's your percentage of labor right now? And I Shit. hesitated. Like, I know it based on a monthly evaluation, but yeah. I don't know it like hardcore, hardcore, right? Yeah. And and that's my distraction in a way. Mm-hmm. He's like, you're going and you're doing all of these things. And you have a business coach and you have all this stuff. Yeah. And you don't even fully want, like, um, he goes, I'm not saying you're doing bad. Yeah. But you don't fully hardcore know your basic principles. Mm-hmm. And the numbers really fall down to even the sales metrics and stuff like that. We can't identify what the salesperson can do mm-hmm. and if it's going to be profitable if you really don't understand your P&L. 
That's very true. Right. And I, I understand it to a average degree, mm-hmm. but I don't understand it to the degree that let's just say he does. Cause yeah. he, he pulled P and L's daily. Yeah. Daily. Dang. And, and he looked at me and he says, do you want to be a thermometer or a thermostat? And he said, do you want to control the temperature? Mm-hmm. I just want to read it. And he said, I like this guy. I need to meet Dude, him. He's hard. <laughs> like he makes you feel really dumb, but it's all yeah. out of love. Yeah. And passion. Yeah. He's very, uh, yeah, when I put together the comp plan, I'm shooting in the dark pretty much, yes. you know? And so I'm, I'm expecting you to adjust based on your numbers. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So that, that's, that's incredibly that's the important. The final stretch for me essentially is okay. get out of the production, truly focus on sales and a little bit of the CFO work, the, the not fun stuff. Yeah, it's not fun. But once you get into it, it gives you so much clarity on, your, yes. on how to execute on your decisions. Mm-hmm. So I love your answer first off, because I've been getting that question all weekend at MDM. And I'm like, you know, they're asking that because I've had so much going on lately, new things, you know, and I'm, I'm done with new things right now. I want to focus on executing on everything that we've laid out over the last year. Yep. I've gotten it all from these masterminds and I absolutely just like you have gotten, you know, a little too high mm-hmm. in the uh, master mining, master planning, you know what I'm saying? Time to implement. And I need to get back <laughs> down into the weeds a little bit and get all my numbers dialed in, get my SOPs dialed in, get all that stuff dialed back in. Because uh, we, we can. We can get hype. We can drink from this fire hose. And That's what he said. It's all feel-good stuff. Yeah, it's all feel-good stuff. It doesn't do nothing for you if you don't do it. Something if you don't it. execute yes. on it. Yeah, exactly. So I believe in that 100%. Um, you were able to help one of my friends out in uh, Austin, one yeah. of my rugby buddies. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you have a hell of a network. Mm-hmm. So um, where can people go if they want any of the products that we've been talking about today? Uh, commercial window tent. Mm-hmm. residential window tent, uh, car wraps, and then core value walls. Yeah. Um, where can they go? Um, so our Facebook is forward slash design it wraps and signs. Mm-hmm. Um, my name's Brent, not K-N-O-T-T on Facebook. And then our Instagram is at design it wraps. Awesome. So we'll, uh, we'll put all that in the show notes mm-hmm. so people can reach out to you. Yeah. Man, uh, I've been looking forward to this, to this for a while. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think it's been a great podcast. A lot of tactical stuff, but also stuff about your mentor is huge, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of uh, entrepreneurs need to ex- start executing on that now and be that mentor to someone because we can all do that. You know yes. what I mean? For the person that's... You know, sweeping the floors to the CEO, we all have an opportunity to be a mentor to someone. We're all one step ahead of someone. Yep. You know what I mean? That's Stuman said. That's how you change the world. That's how you change the world. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Yep. Let's get building. Yes, sir. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Building Great Sales Teams. We sure do appreciate it. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way you'll get notifications as new episodes become available. Remember, great sales teams are not recruited. They are built block by block. Until next time.